we're going to start in the 50s because Uli Uli, thank you very much for coming in. And it's I'm, always good to be here. Uh, the reason I, I'm so happy that we're together, Uli and I, here in Montreal, <clears throat> because when Uli was a much older man like myself, and he had a figure and hair and all the rest of it, uh, he actually went and met Dumisu, uh, Dumiso Dabengua and, and, and interviewed him for, for quite a sizable booklet that was uh, part of the liberation sport movement's uh, project to present the struggle of Southern Africa. And the hero of that, the focus of that, uh, was Dumiso Dabengwa. Although at the time, to call him a hero, he would have been so humiliated, that wouldn't have been what he wanted. So tell me, how did you first meet Uli? How did you first meet Dumiso? Well, it was my first time in Africa. I was working with the Liberation Support Movement, and we did many things to support the struggle against apartheid and also the liberation movements in the Portuguese colonies, Angola, Mozambique, and, of course, and uh, in Zimbabwe. <laughs> and we had a publishing house, and one project that we had, a series of books, we did life histories of revolutionaries who might not be very well known, but inside the different liberation movements. So I was assigned, we went um, to Southern Africa, it was my first trip, we asked uh, ZAPU, the Zimbabwe African People's uh, Union, which, who could we, whose story could we tell in a book form that would tell the world what their struggle was all about. So this was delicate because we're in the middle of a war. They are in a difficult situation. Oh 1972, God. they are under attack. They're from South Africa, from With everywhere. <laughs> and now here comes somebody from Canada who wants to write a book about something that's going on in the middle of them. So they conferred, and they decided that I should come to a safe house in Zambia. I should lay low, low there, not be visible at all, and I should spend a week with a man called Dumiso Dabengwa. I didn't a know, week? I didn't know who he was. Even then he was a big man. <laughs> yes. Now... Here is the score. Um, they did not want, they wanted the story, but they had to protect his identity. Absolutely. So we spent a week. I had a little tape recorder that anthropologists use, a Ewer tape recorder, and ultimately we wrote this book. The Organizer. The Organizer, the story of Temba Moyo, which is the name they chose <laughs> for Dumiso <laughs> Dabengwa, not wanting to reveal his identity. And back in Canada, it was lovingly transcribed, uh, laid out by hand, print, uh, typed on an IBM Selectric in, in a little garage in East Vancouver. And, uh, and uh, man, we made thousands of these. We Zappo used them. It was republished in other languages. We did the same in South Africa, in Namibia, in Angola, in Guinea-Bissau. And, you know, these books went everywhere. And if you want to know the inside story of a big chapter 
of the Zimbabwean war for liberation. You should go to this book. work like this. I'm, I'm actually now, you know, what is it, almost 50 years later, I'm, I'm very proud of this book you and all the books that, that we did. And Zapu really used the book. They loved it. Now it's on the internet. You can find it. The Excellent. organizer. Excellent. And I'm so happy I have my original copy as well. So, so let's go back. Give yes. us some context. Let's you go got back. You to know this guy, and he told you his story from the beginning. Yeah, and uh, you know, Rhodesia. So people will know the name. What, what now has faded into the background was Rhodesia, which is next to South Africa, British colony, uh, into the 1960s. It's it's like another apartheid world. Slightly different, much more rural than South Africa. Dumiso grew up in the years after the Second World War. And at that time, the African land in Zimbabwe was being given away to British soldiers who had fought in the Second World War. They They were being brought to settle in Rhodesia at the time, and the Africans were being pushed out. At the That's, same time, African soldiers who had served in the Second yes. World War... They got a bicycle. And, and a British lieutenant or corporal got 200 acres of African land. So in a few years of Dumis, he he tells this story in the book. He went to this ceremony where Africans were given bicycles. And he said, why are they giving bicycles? Well, because they fought in the war. But the British people who came here and took our land, they got our land because they fought in the war. And that was, Dumiso must have been six, seven years old at the time. His parents were teachers. And they were very aware, highly educated. But people in that position, Africans in that position are right up in the face of the white, of the discrimination. In Rhodesia, at the height of colonialism there, you had 300,000 whites and four and a half million Africans. And they felt the racism and the discrimination at every turn. turn. And his parents, teachers and father became a school principal, humiliated on a daily basis. And Dumiso excelled in school. His parents demanded great things of him. When he went to look for work in Bulawayo, he was offered work and he tried and he tried. He would get 15 pounds a month. He got a job at the Barclays. His... his, his, uh, his uh, bosses were white. They had less education than him. They were making three times more money yes. than him. So he got involved at an early age in as the Zimbabwe nationalist movement grew up. Uh, he became an organizer in the youth front. And by the end of the 1950s, he's in jail. A political prisoner. Already? One of the very wow. early ones. Now, he was also part of that whole transition through uh, the various whatever. It was, it was almost like the ANC Zimbabwe uh, subsidiary. And then, uh, anyway, he went through yeah. that. 
you, in, in the beginning, they were very, it was the ANC, African National Congress of Rhodesia, that was banned, people thrown in jail. Then it became another organization, actually the National Democratic Party. They were banned, more people in jail. Then they formed ZAPU. Um, at that time, they knew already that they were going to be banned. Some of the leaders, the head of ZAPU, Joshua Nkomo, had left the country. And at the crucial time in 1962, Domiso and a few others are told, move on, get out of here. Um, they made their way to Zambia, which was becoming an independent country at that time, by way of Tanzania, which had just become an independent country at that time. And they know that the Rhodesians are, are there to stay. They are, going, they are going nowhere, and they're going to have to fight for their liberation. And in not very long time, Demiso is in the Soviet Union, together with another group, He's being trained as an intelligence officer. So this is the early 60s now. This is the early 60s. There are Africans are being sent to Algeria, to Egypt, to China, Cuba. to Cuba. Uh, Cuba comes a little later. Okay. To be trained um, as soldiers. Dumiso is a soldier, but he is also trained by KGB to collect intelligence, also because he has been a very effective organizer. He's very small. He's huge. He's very good-looking. He can charm the pants off you. But he's an extremely efficient organizer. And you'd never know they, who he was. <laughs> you'd never know who he was because he stays in the background. They come back, 65, 66, they begin to return to Africa, and the war begins. And here, I am sitting here, you know, the hair was standing up on my head. I'm listening to these stories of the early parts of the liberation war in Zimbabwe. And um, it's, um, it's brutal. It's almost under the radar. Uh, they are under incredible pressure. They don't have much. They have to find all the dynamite to blow up uh, railroad tracks and, and industry. They have to acquire it locally. You know, it's a new organization. They are amateurish in many ways. The people like Dumiso who are coming in from Zambia, they have to cross the Zambesi River. Ooh, and, and uh, Crocodiles or angry hippos and elephants. And at some point, he, he tells me, he's in the middle of, with his comrades, of a firefight with a Rhodesian army patrol. He's running through the bush, and all of a sudden, he's in the middle of a prey of lions. He's surrounded by, <laughs> by lions. Well, he, can't, he doesn't want to shoot them and reveal his whereabouts to the Rhodesians. But anyway, um, this war goes on for a number of years, and it takes a big toll on them. They get, um, they make a lot of headway, they lose a lot of people, uh, many people are caught, tortured. 
I think I think we should also mention that this is part of what was uh, historically known as the Wanky campaign, which was a joint campaign with uh, ANC and Zapu. That comes in 1967. That's, that's That's a big campaign, which ultimately the objective is for them to go far enough into Zimbabwe, win enough land so that the ANC, the 80 ANC fighters who are fighting with Zapu can make their way into South South Africa. They do not succeed. Of course. Because by this time, South Africa has joined the war. South Africa is basically saying, we'd rather fight the terrorists on the Zambezi than fighting them on the Limpopo. Limpopo, So they are there with their air force, with their special units, uh, and fully engaged in the war. So uh, it's tough. It's difficult. We should also say that by this time, there has been a split in the nationalist movement that comes to have great consequences later on. The uh, the Zapu leadership uh, came up against a group who were ethnically different from them. Um, there are two main population groups, ethnic groups in Zimbabwe. The Ndebele where uh, from the south and southwest where Dumiso is from are in a minority and the majority are from the north and the east of Zimbabwe, the Shona. And uh, this, this split has major consequences as we, as we go later Absolutely. and especially after independence. But, but by 72, it has the consequence of creating two liberation movements. Yes, because now we are in the 1970s and South Africa, Southern Africa, is in flames because you have wars in Angola and in Mozambique where the MPLA and Fralimu are pushing back the Portuguese. You have the war in Zimbabwe and you have an armed struggle in Namibia. South Africa is fully engaged in all of these wars. And in Rhodesia, it is not going very well. ZANU is able to take advantage of the war in Mozambique because Frelimo in Mozambique is making great progress and is controlling large areas of Mozambique and it gives ZANU access to the whole eastern region of Zimbabwe. And it's much easier to fight the Rhodesians in the east, in the mountains and the forests, than it is in the densely populated and industrialized west and southwest. And the exposed savannas and semi-desert areas of the west. Yeah. So the war in Zimbabwe, the military equilibrium is shifting to the east. But... As, as you will remember, Doug, uh, as we get into the late ha- the, the middle of the 70s and later, basically the war in Rhodesia is becoming too costly for South Africa to support. There were sanctions. Remember, we here in Montreal, we had, towards the end, 1979, when negotiations began for a settlement in 
in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe. We had, we even sent delegates from Montreal. Bonnie Campbell from Uquam was sent here. We mobilized and uh, we sent people to observe at the what became the peace conference. Flora MacDonald, who was foreign minister of oh, Canada, wow. went uh, in the Joe Clark government and they played a big role when the chips came down to find a recipe to end the war and make Rhodesia into Zimbabwe. Okay, now let's get back to Dumiso. Where's Dumiso in all this? So Dumiso is basically, if you don't, if you don't know Zappo from the inside, you won't know who Dumiso is. His job is to stay deep. But what he is successfully doing behind the scenes, he is sometimes he is outside the country, but he spends a lot of time inside. He strikes up a very good relationship with his counterpart in ZANU, Josiah Togongara. And this is intended so to prevent that there is going to be any violence, any armed uh, friction between, between the two, the two factions events. when they return back to Zimbabwe, when the war is over and Zimbabwe will become independent. That was not to be because Tongongara was killed in a traffic accident in Mozambique, Indeed. strangely and mysteriously, and we can only speculate what was behind that. I, I arrived in Mozambique just just after this, and it, we never really talked about it. You weren't supposed to even talk about it. Anyway, the fact is that that relationship um, ceased to exist and that became very important very very tragic actually because as the tensions in the assembly points were enormous the assembly points brought together the, the Zapu the Zipra militants the Zanla Zanu militants and the Rhodesian army yes because there was a big rear guard of many Rhodesians were leaving but many stayed hanging on, including the army and the intelligence. And as we have seen later on, and the same thing happened in, in Mozambique when I was working there, um, there was a white settler rearguard whose de facto work was to sabotage yes. independence and sabotage. And they actually manipulated the tension that was already there but to there provoke. Was, but there was the Bengua. There was the Bengua. Trying he was to, always there pushing for the unity, pushing for the harmony, trying to placate. And maybe that's why he was set up. Because at some point, Z, um, ZANU, the majority party, controlled the government. Robert Mugabe had become the prime minister. He was not yet president. He had become the prime minister, but defect, the effective leader of the country. He did not want an effective opposition. He was out to have ZANU completely He wanted controlled. to crush exactly. That's right. So Dumiso and some other Zapu leaders are set up, and they are charged with treason 
for having cached large amounts of weapon, weapons to try to take, take power. Basically, uh, literally the after Independence Day, like uh, like eighty one or eighty two years. Uh, within two pretty. years, within two years after after Independence in nineteen eighty two, and he's uh, he's brought to trial. The judge says this is this is all hokum. The man is innocent. You can see all he does is is he's working for peace and harmony here. So he was let go, but outside the door of the courtroom, the special branch is waiting, and he is rearrested, thrown into prison, and he's in prison for four years without any due process. He's and all he was trying to do was help resettle the combatants, try to prevent friction. He really was the peacemaker at this point. Well, when we see what happened, uh, maybe that's why he was pushed out of the way, because... This is the beginning of what actually became a campaign of almost ethnic cleansing. Uh, it's known as the Gukurahundi. The Gukurahundi, it's a Shona word. It means the early rain that washes away the chaff, the garbage, from the year before. Sweeping away the Sweeping away what we waste. don't want and what we don't need. And it was a military campaign that maybe over a period of a year and a half or two years, we don't know, we will never know, but maybe 20,000 people is a conservative oh, estimate. Conservative. People, normal villagers were rounded up, uh, shot in lineups. It was horrible. And it has, Demisa was in prison, uh, it has, yeah, it's been a stain on Zimbabwe's independence and relations in Zimbabwe ever since. And the people who were responsible uh, were Robert Mugabe. It is also the crocodile, the man who last year took over from Robert Mugabe. He's called the crocodile. Uh, it's Emerson Monagagwa, who became one of the most he was head of security. He became one of the most corrupt and powerful men in Zimbabwe. In fact, he was, I think, the very first man to get a white expropriated farm. And uh, he directed the 5th Brigade. He directed the 5th Brigade through a man, a military commander, who called himself the Black Jesus. Mm. He called himself the Black Jesus because he said, I decide who will live and who will die. Mm. Now... He is a cabinet minister in Zimbabwe. It was horrible. It was really horrible. When Dumiso came out of prison, uh, his close comrade, military commander, Lookout Masuku, had died in prison. Uh, Dumiso got out, with, uh, and he got out to be pushed into a political settlement with the ZANU government, in what was called the Patriotic Front. And he was made by the leader of ZAPU, Joshua Nkomo, to take the post of Home Affairs Minister. And, and that just, just what a, what an untenable position for, for such a man of principle. I mean, it, this is ridiculous. Well, it was the political reality, and there he was without very much power. He kept that position. 
he stayed in that position. He was forced to stay in that position because of the discipline within his organization. Uh, but he was frustrated. He had very little power. I think, I think it must have been very, very hard on him to see all the abuse of power, the grotesque kind of corruption that was developing in Zimbabwe. And the racist the ethnicity. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't the way. That wasn't the way. That was not what they had fought for. And uh, he was there until uh, 2002. So thereafter, he did try once to revigorate or to recreate Zapbu. Uh, it came apart, alive as a party, I think, around 2008 or something. Uh, he tried to run. Uh, it was uh, wasn't going much anywhere because the forces just didn't have space. They were on the back foot. Zappo by that time were on the back foot. I, I would think I had no contact at, during that period. I would think they would it would surprise me if he was not demoralized and tired. What he did was he supported candidates in the parliamentary opposition to the Mugabe government He stayed in the background. He did quite a lot of welfare work. They started a foundation. He did community-based work in, in, and tried to build up um, things in his area of Zimbabwe, but very much stayed in the background. In one minute. Yes. Why is... Domiso Dabengwa, an important figure in African history? Because I think, first of all, it's the role he played in the liberation struggle. Second, it is because he is, though he is very little known, he did everything he could, and in the end, despite the miserable outcome in Zimbabwe, things could have been a heck of a lot worse without him. Now, I... You know, I think about him uh, when when this happened. So here I am in Lusaka. I'm hearing he's telling me about this war. At, at In the evening, we go out. This is my first time in Africa. You know, it's a big strapping guy. Uh, we go out for a walk in the township. He takes my hand. Now we're walking down the dusty street in a crowded township holding hands. I get, what will people think? You know, this is, this is embarrassing. I said, man, you're in Africa, you know. <laughs> you know this is how we live here. When, we, when it was time to have dinner, he taught me how to make zadza, which is the stiff, mealy maize porridge, you know, which is the staple there. So he was such a, he was such a modest, gentle person, and at the same time, he's doing, he's a fighter. He's leading he's a warrior, <laughs> And he's putting his life on the line, and soon after I left to come back to Canada, he, 19, end of 1972, uh, he's back inside Zimbabwe, and he is wounded several times. He survived. Uh, I think they want to make him a hero. I saw the president, the crocodile, Uh, on on YouTube saying he's a hero, maybe he should be buried in Hero's Acre. 
Dumiso said, not very long ago, he said he wants to be buried at Ntaba Zinduna. Ntaba Zinduna is a mountain close to where he grew up, north of Bulawayo. It is known as the mountain where the Ndebele chief Msilikasi executed the people he suspected of plotting against him. That is where he wants to be buried. No hero's acre for the Misa Dabengua. Aluta continua. Aluta continua.